Welcome to the Stadium Tech Report podcast. This is Paul Kapuska, editor of Mobile Sports Report, and I'd like to bring in our special guest for the day, Bill Schlau, who is a senior vice president, chief information officer, and one of the head cheerleaders for the San Francisco Giants. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Uh, happy to be here. and uh, not, not much to cheer about today, but, uh, but there will be hope springs eternal in baseball, so we'll have a lot to cheer about in 2017, I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Forget the even-year stuff. Just win it whenever you can. Um, I, it's fun having Bill here for what is our inaugural podcast interview uh, session, and I think it's only appropriate since, as far as we can tell, the San Francisco Giants were the first major professional team in any sport to go full all in, I would say, with uh, fan-facing Wi-Fi. And Bill, if you could, I, I know you've probably told this story um, a million times and and you know talked about it a lot, but could you go back a little bit in time and just take us back to the, the first days of putting Wi-Fi in and you know what the initial decisions were, what some of the the early challenges were. I just I just think it's a great story, and, and I hope you're not tired of telling it. No, no, I'm happy to, and I'm fortunate to to, to still be here. Uh, you know, all these years later, that was uh, back in 2004 for us, and uh, really the impetus and the driver um, was the fact that we were Pacific Bell Park. Um, our park was uh, it had you know. Uh, three or four seasons under our belt. So we're heading into the 2004 season, and Pacific Bell was no longer a brand. Uh, it had been acquired by SBC, and uh, the Pacific Bell brand was going away, and our ballpark, which was is built you know, right there on the, the shores of, of the bay, and, and the Pacific Bell had such a great ring to it. No one felt that it had this you know, nasty corporate sound to it. It just sounded perfect for our park. Well, now we were going to become SBC Park, and our fans weren't too excited about that. And SBC realized that, and they said, well, we need to do something to, yeah, we're about to change the name of this park, but we want to do something for the fans, give them something back as part of this name change. And we talked about it. We said, well, how about this whole Wi-Fi thing? That seems like uh, that might be uh, a valuable uh, added benefit to our fans, if not this year, down the road perhaps. And so we, we agreed to make that investment, and that investment in 2004 was uh, you know, 121 access points distributed throughout the ballpark and we promoted it going into 2004 we said we will provide free uninterrupted high-speed wi-fi to our fans from the gates of willie mays plaza to the shores of mccovey cove anywhere in the ballpark you could connect and so on opening day that year uh we uh, opened the gates and our, our our access points were turned on and you know who knows what our pipe was back then it was <laughs> it was probably it was it was megabits. It wasn't kilobits, I don't think, but uh, it wasn't very many. <laughs> a couple um, T ones. So we opened up the gates. <laughs> yeah, we opened up the gates and uh, and let the fans in, and 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 they brought their their Palm Zires and their compact oh, iPacks and their laptops, and and they connected to the internet, and and all you know, hundred and four of them <laughs> all connected to the internet, and they each had their own dedicated access points. They had a great experience, and the fans around them said. You know what are you doing? Well, well, shouldn't you be watching the game? And they were surfing the web, and they were doing their email, and they were surfing, and and that's about all they could do back then on those devices. But you know there are a lot of those early adopter geeks types out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, and they enjoyed it. And so it was a novelty, and a lot of the fans, you know, questioned the right. decision to do it because so few were using it. And that didn't change. For 2004, 2005, we averaged less than 100 fans per game. And we didn't hmm. measure in – our take rate was not a percentage. 
it was uh, how many per 10,000 fans were using the Wi-Fi network. We, we weren't even thinking about percentages. It was a very different world. And then that all changed in 07 when we hosted the All-Star Game here. And the iPhone launched the same week as the All-Star Game, midsummer of 07. I'll never forget that. And our oh, take rate huh? you know, went from how many per 10,000 to what percentage of the fan base. And it just started rocketing from then. And you know, we went from... 100 to game to hundreds per game and then in 07 instantly next thing you know we're getting closer to a thousand per game and and today you know we're we're more talking about what percentage of our fan base you know uh 35 to 50 percent depending upon the game are using the wi-fi and, and so it's come a long way over that you know 12 13 year period were, were there any um times in those early years and i i'm trying to remember like 2009 or 2010 where you know it, it really occurred to you guys that this might be something a lot bigger than you thought it would be. I don't know that I think the problem was we always thought it would be big. We wouldn't have made the investment if we didn't think it would be big. It was more it took longer than we thought because with the compact iPad, you know, we developed essentially an app. I mean, it was a a web site that was optimized for the iPad screen that provided replays and provided. Um, information on where to, where to get food so you didn't put your seat location and tell you where your nearest garlic fries were. And, and we, we built that for the iPack and the, and the Palm screens back then. And so we felt like it took a long time for cell phones and actually you know, we call them smartphones back then to, to kind of accept and adopt Wi-Fi. So it was the opposite. It wasn't that we were surprised when it ramped up. We were surprised that it took so long for the iPhone to arrive three years. And then once it did, you know, I think we weren't surprised by the ramp up. We saw a hundred to 300% increase each year in, in adoption. Mm, that's interesting. When, when you guys first put the network in, was, was there any kind of uh, like thought given to, you know, spacing and interference? And, and I mean, was that as advanced as the kind of techniques and tools that is out there today? Or were you guys just kind of making it up? You know, it, it was the early days, and the company we worked with was called Wayport, and then they were acquired by AT&T, and what's amazing is the people we worked with in 2004 are the same people we work with today. <laughs> and uh, still at AT&T, the guys who were kind of the visionaries for you know, Wi-Fi networks at major ballparks, Jimmy Lee Provence, and back then Ron Francis, you know, Ron's not with them anymore, but those guys were kind of the godfathers of the network, and we're still working with those same guys today, and we feel like, you know, nobody does it better, and, and nobody's been working in this space longer than those guys have, so uh, yes, it was very different back then. We didn't have to worry too much about spacing when you're putting a total of 120 access points in the ballpark, but today, when you're, you know, up over 1,600 access points, it's a totally different different ball game. Yeah, maybe that's a good point to, to ramp into what it is today. I, I mean, I know you guys have been steadily making improvements, and over the last three years you've had a, a lot going on with the, the under seats and the proximate networking. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the state of the network is at AT&T Park right now. Um, you know, you can start with Wi-Fi and then maybe proceed to DAS, but it, it, what's, what's the state of the state by the Bay right now? Right. So the state of the network today, uh, here following the 2016 season, um, this past year at the ballpark, we had 1,628 access points deployed, and that included 543 that we had added during the 2015-2016 offseason. So it was a significant upgrade this past year. We have antennas under seats everywhere in the ballpark, and that was a three-year process that started um, you know, three seasons ago. We started with uh, the lower box, then we moved on to the bleachers, club level, and then most recently this past offseason was the upper deck. So everywhere you go throughout the ballpark, you're going to find seats, uh, sorry, you're going to find antennas under the seats approximately spaced 
you know, about one every 40 seats or so, every few rows spaced across. You know, we felt that going under seats was the best way for us to really uh, cover and blanket this ballpark with coverage as opposed to doing anything with overhangs or or uh, rails it just doesn't work for our for our uh, the way our ballpark is laid out. So that's kind of what the network looks like on the Wi-Fi side. Um, we also have a neutral host DAS that services the four major carriers, and that's uh, this was the first neutral host DAS in San Francisco to service all four carriers. And and all of this is uh, deployed and supported on an ongoing basis by AT&T. Um, we're serviced by uh, a gigabit uh, circuit here at the ballpark. And we found in the postseason this year that we're finally bumping up against the limitations of that as well. It's not something we'd ever seen before, but in the postseason we did see that. So we're going to have to be increasing that this offseason. Um, and uh, so that's the general network. In terms of stats of, of usage, uh, this past year on average, 35% of our fans at each game connected to the Wi-Fi network. And the total data transferred was a little over uh, 1.3 terabytes per game through Wi-Fi. And you know, as we look at trends over the years, the number of fans that connect to the Wi-Fi network has leveled off. Hmm. And that's because we also have that neutral host DAS. And so, you know, fans, we don't want the fans to have to choose. The fans right. should just, they, they just want to get the content they want. Right. And so for most fans, a lot of fans, you know, the DAS is fine. But for fans who are doing, you know, higher bandwidth type, uh, communications and they're sharing videos and, and, and the ones that are a little more savvy, they're connecting to the, net, the Wi-Fi network and using it. So you know, at the end of the day, we just want our fans to stay connected, whether it's Wi-Fi or DAS, shouldn't matter to them or, or matter to us. So 35% is, is relatively consistent as we look at trends over the past few years. Um, 2013 was the first year we exceeded 30% in take rate. And, you know, 2014, we were around 34. Last year, around 35. This year, around 35. So we've been pretty consistent at that take rate. But what's been continuing to increase and grow is the data traffic per user. And if you look back um, over these past four years, from 2013 to 2016, you know, it's been, that has been consistently increasing by between 45 and 85% per year. This year, and again, I'm throwing out a lot of numbers, but hopefully you know, some of yeah. your audience may be some of these numbers. But, um, you know, on average, we're seeing this year we saw about 108 uh, meg uh, transferred per fan uh, over the Wi-Fi network exclusively, and that was during the regular season. Now, when you go to the postseason, the stakes are higher. The fans are a lot more interested in sharing what they're seeing, so sure. you see everything increase significantly, and each round you see it increase significantly. So unfortunately, we only got to see one round this year, but and in that one round, the divisional series, we set records uh, in pretty much every category. And if we had gone on to the LCS or the World Series, those numbers would increase significantly again. So I'm sure the Cubs and Indians are seeing all-time records in terms of wireless traffic at their facilities. But just, just to give you an example, at a typical regular season game here, uh, we would see you know 1.3 terabytes of data transferred by our fans at Division Series game number one against the Cubs. We saw a little over three terabytes. So that's that's the difference oh. in terms of the amount of data you're seeing at a, at a marquee game versus a regular season game. And that's why, you know, when you compare baseball to like football, football, you know, they've got eight, eight regular season home games. Every game is, you know, it's a big event. Right. So for us, we got more of a steady state over the course of 81 dates. Um, and then mm. we've got our big postseason games, but a football game is, is almost like a postseason game each game. So they, they see much higher traffic, I think. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Cause those, those stats and, and that, the talk about the user, you know, the growth per user leads into my next question, which is, you know, for the future, I guess that's where you see user growth going. It's not, 
I'm guessing there's sort of like a set number now of people who want to connect to Wi-Fi or who are you know just finding they need the Wi-Fi, but they're doing more. Is is more video part of that? I, I do remember this spring, you know, seeing friends who were at AT and T Park of mine showing you know pictures of their phones where they were watching the Warriors games being streamed live to their phones while they're at the baseball game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and we we encourage that. It's interesting. Like in the early days of Wi-Fi, okay. So I'll break it into three segments. You got 04 to 07 when it was like, whoa, is, we we just deployed this network. Is anybody ever going to take advantage of this service? We're still at less than 200 fans per game. Then the iPhone came out, and from 07 to 12, it was like, whoa. Uh, more and more fans are bringing smartphones, Wi-Fi-enabled devices to the ballpark. This is going to continue ramping at a rate of 100 to 300% per year. You know, we're like, okay, um, we're at 500 a game, 1,500 a game, 3,000 a game, 6,000 a game, 12,000 a game. This was kind of the ramp from 7 to 12. And then we're like, okay, what comes next? 24,000 a game, 48,000 a game, 96,000 a game. And even though our, our ballpark only accommodates 40,000 fans, we were like, well, fans are going to bring more connected devices. Each fan's going to bring two or three, and they're going to need access to Wi-Fi networks, so we're going to need to scale for that. So that's what we were thinking in right. 2012, and we were wrong uh, because the DAS network got even more powerful and, and, and was able to serve fans, and they stopped um, growing. And yes, they're bringing more connected devices, but they're leveraging the DAS as well. And so it did level up off for us around that 35% level. But so that, that was kind of the third phase. The third phase is, whoa, same number of devices, but so much more data. So now you're seeing the, the data per user ramping. So that's, what, that's been the story from 12 to 16. And, and yeah, we encourage that. You know, our ballpark... Uh, this past year, we had both the Warriors and the Sharks in the playoffs during April, early in our season, and we set records for Wi-Fi utilization, and we would track it. And I can look back through our numbers. I look at my little notes. It's like in my notes, mm -hmm. and say, okay, today was opening day, and it was Masters round one. This game <laughs> uh, overlapped with Sharks and Warriors playoff games during our game. This game overlapped uh, June 13th overlap with Warriors NBA Finals Game 5. And that was right. NBA Finals Game 5 was the biggest Wi-Fi download day of our entire season, bigger than <laughs> bigger than our postseason games. Because, you know, our postseason oh, yeah. games, people aren't downloading, they're uploading. So the biggest day of the year for us was NBA Finals Game 5. Um, and so we embrace and accept that, you know, we've sold out uh, a lot of games in a row here. We're at 489 straight sellouts. And in order to yeah. maintain that, with the pace of our game, you know, it can't just be about baseball. There's, it's a three-hour game. Sometimes Shish in the playoffs is a four-and-a-half-hour oh game. There's still only 20 minutes of action. And so in between all that action, you know, we expect our fans to be pulling out their phones and engaging in other things. And if they're following the Masters or they're following the Warriors game and they're at our park, hey, you know, that's great. You know, we're providing a great experience for our fans so that they can come out and socialize and enjoy that and also watch some Giants baseball while they're at it and, and the, the, the Wi-Fi and the wireless networks make that possible. I, that That is really amazing, and it's really kind of interesting that the biggest Wi-Fi day would not be spurred by what was happening at the Giants game, but the fact that people who were at the Giants game wanted to be doing something else. That's a really interesting fact. Um, I, I'd like to take this in a little bit of a different direction, sort of away from the infrastructure, and now you know, that we seem to have agreed, you know, it's good to have this kind of infrastructure in stadiums. I'd like to hear your views a little bit about whether or not 
you know, these, the digital networks, the cellular networks, the wireless networks are really helping the fan experience as planned. And, and for, for this, I'm talking about not just the ability to connect and do what you want, which seems to be problem solved, but I'm talking about things like digital ticketing. I'm talking about seat upgrades or, you know, having food or drink delivered to your seats. Can you talk a little bit about that, the the progression of, of how these things have sort of moved in concert with the arrival of networks? Is, is it working? Is it not working? Are there things you would rather be doing or things that you can't be doing because of one reason or another? I just, I, I'd love, I think you have a, a pretty good seat for this. Sure thing. So, so let me go all the way back to the beginning. And, and when I talk about Wi-Fi and the inspiration for it, you know, it had a lot to do with the name change. But as we were thinking about how to add value to the fans, you think back to 2004, there was no instant replay in baseball. And when you came to a game, when you're sitting in the stands, if there was a controversial play on the field, we couldn't show it again on the main board. We weren't permitted to do that. Right. Uh, because there was no instant replay, you couldn't change the call. So the fans at home on their couch were having actually a better experience than fans in the park. And I remember distinctly a moment um, during the 2003 season, and anybody who's following along the podcast can Google Ruben Rivera base running, and they'll find the play. <laughs> Um, worst base running in the history of the game in the words of John Miller. And I was sitting in the stands and I saw that and everyone around me was asking me what just happened. And I realized that, um, and John Miller calls, it makes a great call. And he says, Ruben Rivera was the only person in the ballpark who did not know what just happened. And John Miller was 100% wrong. None of us in the ballpark knew what just happened. Everyone at home knew what happened. And people even listening on the radio to John Miller call it had a better experience than we did at home because he kept playing it over and over again. Yeah. Um, but for those of us at the ballpark, you know, we didn't have the luxury of that replay. And so replay on demand was what we called back then the killer app. There were two killer apps, replay on demand and food finder. We said, this is, yeah, we're going to put the Wi-Fi network in. And it wasn't about Twitter and it wasn't about Snapchat and Facebook. Did those things even exist in 2004? Half of them didn't. It was about giving fans in the park the ability to see replays because they couldn't see it on the main board. And so we rolled that out early on for those those. 100 fans who brought their their iPacks uh, to the ballpark of their palms, but ultimately when the iPhone came out, that that was our killer app, and we would we would roll out you know 40 to 60 replays per game and show them to fans on on iPhone. So we felt like you know really that service was what was going to get people to pull pull out their phones, was really going to enhance the experience. And then the food finding, not necessarily food delivery to the seats. So that was the inspiration you know 10 plus years ago. You fast forward to today, and you know I'll give give credit to the Niners um, down south. You know nobody. Has done a better job with food delivery uh, than the Niners, and, and I'm pretty sure that the Niners do more food delivery than probably every other ballpark in the U.S. combined, potentially. Um, yeah. But that's it's not a revenue driver for us. You know, we we do food delivery as well, and and I would say if if you challenge them, it's not a revenue driver for the Niners either. It's not it's not generating incremental revenue or people because there's a lot more costs to delivering food also. So is it really making a big impact on the bottom line that um, fans can order food to their seats? No, it's not. It's not moving the meter. Is it a nice convenience for the fans and do they appreciate it? I think they do as long as it's executed well. Yeah. But it's not a game changer food delivery. Is, is replay on demand a game changer? Um, I feel like it was for us 10 years ago, but today I, I don't think so. Live streaming while you're at the ballpark of other angles, you know, the clubhouse view or whatever, eh, you know, it, it doesn't do it for me. So how about on the ticketing side, seat upgrades? Okay. Seat upgrades. 
that's one that you really could not do before you had wireless devices in your hands. You wouldn't be sitting in the upper deck and you wouldn't go down to a ticket office during a game and say, no. hey, can I upgrade to the lower deck today? But you can do it in the palm of your hand. So is it, it's a really nice service. Is it a game changer? Or are we doing 10,000 seat upgrades per game? No, mm. absolutely not. You know, StubHub was a game changer. Yeah. Um, seat upgrades are, are a great service to our fans and actually do drive revenues. But, but I, I don't know that it's a total game changer or, or as we would call it, a killer app you know, right. 10 to 15 years ago. So I would say, you know, in my honest estimation, um, there's a lot of neat little features that people can put into their ballpark apps or their stadium apps, but I don't know that there's one that's like, wow, I could not survive without that. Is it, is it, you know, measuring the restroom lines or is it, you know, yeah. navigating back to my car? Or there's so many different pieces of functionality and features um, that are out there, but I don't know that there's any one you would point to. It's more like, hey, you know, if you, if you layer enough of those into the app, maybe it'll be worthwhile to fans, but our philosophy has been and remains, it's about enabling our fans to stay connected and go where they want to go, and that's what the payoff is, because if our fans are having a great time and they're sharing that experience through all of their social networks, mm. whether it's old school email or text, or whether it's all the different social media mechanisms, if they're sharing that experience of a sold out ballpark and the energy and enthusiasm here, and, and they're you know connecting more with our players through that connectivity, through the wireless, that's what it's all about for us. It's not about using an app to drive incremental revenues on a game day. That's just, just honestly, that's our perspective. And I don't really know that there's one piece of functionality that I'd be like, every stadium has to have this in their app. But right. I would say every stadium has to enable their fans to stay connected or the fans will not come. That's a really great point. And I think I, you know, just judging from some of the other stadiums where we've seen the statistics, the stadium app or the team app is always still trailing just general, you know, email apps or social media. And, and I think to your point, you know, that may be the killer app, just having really great connectivity to, as you said, allow people to go where they want to go. What I, I know you've also... I, I think so. And yeah, and I'll, it just interrupt you a second. I mean, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I don't think you should be sad that that your your team app or your stadium app doesn't have a 50% adoption on any given game. You should be happy that your fans are connecting through all of their networks and they're talking about you and they're sharing that experience. That's priceless. That's what justifies the investment, not, you know, somebody playing a game on your app. That, that's that's my take and it remains that way. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. You, you guys have done some other interesting in-stadium experiments um, with social media and with technologies like virtual reality. Can you talk a little bit about those, what's going on out in the left field bleachers there? Sure, happy to, yeah. A few, few years ago, you know, we recognized that social media is becoming a bigger and bigger you know, part of our marketing efforts and, and part of connecting with our fans. So we created an area called the Act Cafe where we used to have a Build-A-Bear out by our Coke bottle in center field and, and put up a big uh, media wall there showcasing uh, our fans' communications. And, you know, if a fan tweets and puts a photo up, we'd put the photo up and we'd, we'd showcase communications there across various different social media networks. But we also... Um, you know, had some kind of coaches in there and folks to help people understand, you know, what is social media, especially a few years ago, you know, a lot of people didn't understand it. So, um, yeah. you know, we had a big, a big wall out there and we'd talk to people about that. And we would staff it. We've got charging stations out there and other things. And each year what we do in the app cafe changes. The app cafe remains the same, but we'll do different things. We'll showcase different technologies. We did something with a Twitter vending machine. We experimented with out there. <laughs> Virtual reality was our big, um, kind of something we piloted in partnership with Jaunt this year. We took uh, at three different times during the year, once in spring training, 
once on opening day and once during the season. We brought out a film crew and uh, really tried to create a short segment, you know, uh, two to four minutes long that uh, enables our fans to get closer to, to our players behind the scenes, sit in the car with Sergio Romo, be right there walking on the field on opening day with our players and, and see what that feels like. We partnered with John. We felt like, um, you know, they, they're really the best in the business in terms of the quality and the storytelling. This is not live VR. Live VR is a completely different conversation and discussion. Mm-hmm. This is all about more like a Disney ride, but it's related to our, you know, it's, it's relevant to our fans because it brings them closer to the players. So that was our philosophy this year. It was not live VR. Um, it's more scripted storytelling, providing you know an experience for our fans. So I, I'd say it was successful. We took a very similar approach to the Boston Red Sox. We hadn't talked before, but we talked a lot <laughs> since. We both have our own little areas in the park where we do this with, with our Gear VRs. They had a different partner than we did. Um, we compare notes. Uh, later on, the Twins did something in conjunction with BAM, and a few other teams have as well. And as we look toward the future, you know, a lot of folks now are talking about live VR mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I really do believe that VR and AR are going to transform the way fans consume our game and they may actually be incredible weapons in our arsenal to remain engaged with a younger demographic, which is a top priority for us and, and stay relevant with a, a game as we just talked about, which last night was, you know, four hours plus during the postseason yeah. and it's only 20 minutes of action and, you know, how many millennials or young people are going to sit there on their couch riveted for four plus hours, especially in the middle of the night, but they're going to love consuming certain moments of that game. And that's what, you know, VR and AR we think can do. And again, back to the thing, you know, scripted versus live. I don't know about, you know, I mean, they're both valuable, but again, you're not going to get somebody to sit there for four hours, which is one of the reasons why we want to increase the pace of our games too. But I don't think there's a way to get somebody to sit there for three or four hours. And, And again, that's okay. The, the key is going to be capturing the key moments of that game and delivering them in an incredibly compelling fashion. And VR and AR, I think, are going to enable the, us to do that. Or, you know, maybe even bring somebody into the game during a key moment. Maybe that's that live. But so as we think about VR, I think what's going to happen is the quality of the viewing experience is going to continue to, to improve. I feel like we are where we are with VR today is analogous to where we were with Wi-Fi in 2004. It's way early days, and nobody's even imagined the potential of this, but um, a lot of people are, are starting to talk about it. And being able to experience a game from anywhere on the field or on the court uh, in full HD with the action happening around you, that's the future of what VR um, can deliver. We're so not there today, but that's why we're excited about the potential for the future. And and that's you know why we did our little pilot in in the uh, Act Cafe this past year, and we'll continue to kind of invest in that area. Um, just just in closing, I'd I'd, I'd kind of like just to you know maybe if you could just give us a, a somewhat of a personal view of this. It you know it sounds like you're you're still having fun doing what you're doing, and I, I wonder if you ever feel like you have it all figured out or have a, a clear vision of where things are going. I, I mean, I always wonder if the networks are ever going to, you know, catch up with the de- devices, the way, you know, device innovation and app innovation are going. What, you know, what's, what's it like for you right now? What do you, what do you see for the next five, 10 years? Is, is this something you still want to be a part of? Are you going to, you know, become a general manager and start drafting players? What, where is Bill going to be in five years? Well, um, I, I still have like seven fingers, if you count my thumbs, that don't have rings yet. So I've got, <laughs> got to populate a few more of those. Maybe even if you just count the fingers, there's still, what, five more to go. So um, this never gets old, man. And that's the beauty of 
being in, in technology in this space is it's always changing. You asked me to envision 10 years out. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, rewind 10 years and try to imagine what there is today. Um, there are so many cool technologies, you know, uh, ranging from wireless charging to autonomous vehicles to all kinds of this stuff with AR and other things. And in five, even five years, you know, things can change so much. And, and so this never gets old, man. Coming to work at a ballpark every day for uh, 17, 18 seasons um, is still a joy, especially when, when hope springs eternal and each of us across the 30 baseball cities feels like we have a, a, a chance to go all the way uh, mm-hmm. when April comes. And, and, of course, that's we're already thinking about April because um, our season is over um, for 16. But, yeah, it doesn't get old. There's always new technology to get excited about, generally speaking. And, and if I felt like we had it figured out, then it would be time for me to move on man, because – um, it's no fun if there's not new and different challenges to look forward to. So, I, I mean, I can't make any specific predictions about the future, but I, I definitely think, uh, you know, the latest thing we're focusing on really has a lot to do with finding ways to engage our fans of all ages more and more with our players in our game and doing that in snippets, and that and that is, is something we've been focused on lately to, to keep uh, to keep baseball relevant, not just Giants baseball, but baseball as a whole. And um, it's a privilege for me to have had the opportunity to be involved in that for the past 17 or 18 years, and and I would love to continue to uh, to do that for at least another another decade or so before I hang up the cleats. Wow. Well, you know, I think I speak on behalf of anybody who's been to the park with a device. You know, we can say. We're thankful that you're still there and still helping the team uh, do what you guys do there because it really is, you know, among the parks and stadiums I've been to, I, you know, I, I don't know that I know that there's a better wireless fan experience. So hats off to you and the Giants, and uh, thanks for joining us today on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. If you're listening to this and want to find out more information about Bill and, and what he and his team have done at AT&T Park, uh, please visit our website cleverly at mobilesportsreport.com you can find links to this podcast you can find past stories we've done about the giants and about at&t park you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter which keeps you up to date on the latest news and analysis and download our quarterly stadium tech reports our most recent one from q3 is just out which talks about all the wi-fi upgrades that have been going on in nfl stadiums So um, thanks for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Bill Schlau, for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. Thanks a lot, Paul. All right. This is Paul Kapuska, editor of Mobile Sports Report for the Stadium Tech Report podcast.